Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning and welcome into First Nazarene Church. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us uh, for our services, Uh, especially if you are newer to our church. um, Thank you for uh, coming in here. Even if you're here today and you're not really sure what you think or what you believe about God um, or whatever past uh, issues maybe you've had with church, I just want to say I recognize it can be hard to walk into a church and say thank you uh, for being here and a part of our services today. And in this church, I hope you find a people who love you, people who will point you to Jesus, and that maybe here you would find the Jesus of the Bible, not the God that other people may have uh, spoken about that maybe was less true, but Jesus from Scripture, and maybe he would change your life. So thank you for being a part uh, of our services today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Galen, and I'm the pastor, and I'd love to meet you after service uh, to get to know your name and hear a little bit of your story. Uh, well, today, it's, it really is starting to feel a little bit more like Christmas, isn't it? I mean, Ethan starting the service, Merry Christmas, and I don't know about you, but even walking around the shops or the stores, there's more people looking like they're shopping. Uh, Last night, I took my family to the Lamont Tree Lighting Festival. I felt like I was in a Hallmark movie for about five minutes. I was like, man, Christmas really is coming. Like, it's, it's right around the corner. Even this morning, uh, watching so many of you walk in with your Christmas gifts uh, for the kids that are part of the By the Hand Club in this city. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, for signing up for that. Thank you for giving Christmas gifts to kids who might otherwise not have Christmas, may not have um, gifts under the tree. Thank you for being a church uh, that says we care about those kids and we want to participate in that way. And some of you even right now are like, oh yeah, shoot, I forgot to bring my present. Uh, those were due today? Yes. Uh, you can go home and get them. You can bring them back. That's fine. Uh, but uh, thank you for participating in that. And Christmas, some of you have even asked me, hey, Pastor, what's the plan for Christmas? I normally do Christmas Eve services. Um, and I noticed that Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year. Uh, does that change our time? So just as a heads up for everybody, our Christmas service times, uh, we'll have normal Sunday morning, so 9 and 1030, just our normal times here. Keep it simple uh, for everybody. And I would say this maybe to this crowd in particular at 10.30. We do expect to have a lot of guests. We always do during a Christmas time. Uh, a lot of them will probably come to this service if it makes no difference to you on Christmas Eve. Maybe shifting to a 9 a.m. service would allow a seat, allow space uh, for somebody to come into this service. But Sunday morning, 9 and 10.30. And then the last few years, we've done the Wednesday before Christmas. So this year, December 20th at 6.30 here at the church. Um, we've heard from you, a lot of you, you enjoy that service because if you're hosting people on Christmas Eve, or if you're leaving and going somewhere else, you can still experience our Christmas services here at the church. So two things with this. Number one, save the date. You got the times down. You can plan which service you're coming to. And then number two, if you're to invite somebody to join you for Christmas, you know the time, so you could say, hey, I know I'm going to this service. Uh, Hey, you should come with me, and I'll meet you at the door, and you can sit with me in that service. I'd love to have you join me uh, for our Christmas services this year. And we do have full children's programming in all of those services. Christmas, 
Uh, this year, we'll pick up where we left off last week, talking about an unexpected Christmas. Because here's what I know. A lot of times we go through the motions of Christmas and it is busy, but we do all the same things. And in church, we read the same story over and over and over again, and we kind of lose, we lose, it becomes too familiar with us. And we can't really see what's going on behind the story. And this year, even for me, in reading the Christmas story, I began to look and say, there's so many unexpected things that are happening in this story. And yet we don't even realize them. And then these things, if we could learn them, we can actually apply them to our life. And I think there's something for us here, even 2,000 years later for today, where we could experience Christmas in a different way, an unexpected way, and find Jesus in the midst of that. And today, talking about peace. And let me just ask you, just personally, I want you to picture in your mind for a second. Let me ask you the question, where do you find peace? Like, is there a place for you? Uh, do you find peace? Some of you are like beach people, and you disappear to Florida for a little bit, and you're sitting on the beach, and the sun is shining on your face. You're like, ah, peace. This is my place. Some of you maybe are more mountain people, where if you see a scenic, beautiful, I just get me out there among the mountains, get outside in nature, ah, peace. Some of you are like, Galen, the, the place of peace for me is so much closer. Uh, it's on my couch after all the children go to bed. And for the first time, I'm like, ah, peace. Quiet house. I don't have to be responsible for somebody else. That is my place where I just, ah, peace. Where is that place for you? I want you to think about it. Where might that be? Yet here's what I know, too. Some of you, in having conversations with you, would say, yeah, but Galen, even if I go there, wherever that is, even if I'm there, I can see the beauty, the scenery. I've, you don't have to worry about those things I'm responsible for yet. And maybe you wouldn't even describe it as peace, but you just know internally, man, something's off. Like I'm in this peaceful setting, but I'm not experiencing this internal kind of peace. Or maybe you go there and then you come back and you realize that you had been looking forward to going to that spot for so long. And now that you're back, you're like, oh man, it's just back to the grind back to life, and I'm not experiencing this internal sense of complete wholeness, assurance that all will be well. Something is missing. Today, as we look at the Christmas story again, I want you to see unexpectedly that this is not a peaceful story, and yet Jesus, who is peace, enters into the story, and if he can do it for them, maybe he can do it for us today, too. So let's look at that story together, beginning in Luke chapter 2, maybe a familiar scripture. It says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Some of you, as soon as I began to read that story, maybe you pictured a grandpa Uh, reading this story to you, or maybe you pictured years of church where the same thing has been read, even the first few lines. So in those days, Caesar Augustus, you're like, oh, I know, I know this one. It's become so familiar to us. I think it's when we think of Christmas, we picture this 
beautiful, peaceful scene. Maybe like the nativity and all is well and Mary's holding little baby Jesus who never cries and never needs a diaper change and it's just a peaceful night and Joseph's looking over, ah, my son, and there's animals that are all around that don't spit or go to the bathroom. They just sit peacefully and look at the baby. And we think of Christmas as this beautiful, peaceful scene. Yet today I want to look at the the setting for the Christmas story, with the place, the context of where we find this. Even from the scripture we just read from the very beginning, uh, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, if you think of the Roman Empire often, you probably know who this is. He has expanded the Roman Empire. He's created, quote unquote, peace for the land. He creates this road system where people can get around easier. Yet it's interesting, and I want you to not miss the irony here. He believed himself to be divine. So this Roman emperor was the son of God who provided peace for his kingdom, the Pax Romana, people living in peace in this land. Yet who is this Mary and Joseph, these Jewish people living under this Roman rule? Would they have experienced peace in this time? Well, yes, there's peace throughout the land, but as they would travel on the road, there would be crosses. Not just, you know, we think of a cross, we think of Jesus on a cross. Certainly, that's the only cross many of us know of. But crucifixion was a normal thing for the Roman Empire. Can you imagine driving down 355 and every quarter of a mile, there's a cross. It was the visible reminder, if you rebel against the Roman Empire, here's what happens to you. Is that a peaceful place? And the very fact they had to go to Bethlehem was to make sure that the government could get their tax money. Caesar wanted to know, how many people do I have and how much can we tax them? You need to go back to your ancestral hometown. We make sure we're getting the money out of you. The Jewish people would not have known this as a time of peace in their land. I think not even just that. I think of the internal peace. Did Mary and Joseph have peace as they walked this road? Talked last week about how Joseph, this wasn't even something he necessarily signed up for. As he's walking on the road, did he wonder? I mean, I know the angel visited me, but... Mary's still pregnant and this child's going to be who and what are we doing? And if I'm Joseph and you have to walk that journey to Bethlehem, there's no cars, right? I'd be on my phone. Will a camel or a donkey send my wife into labor? Like that's a legitimate question. She's seven, eight months pregnant, whatever she is. Like will that happen here? Is Mary up front like, Joseph, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm craving some chocolate. Would you bring that up here? I don't know if you've been on a long drive with a pregnant lady. Now imagine her on a camel or walking. Was there peace on that journey? I don't, don't know. Was this a peaceful time for them? Having a baby where they never would have dreamed they would have a baby. And then it goes on, and as the story reads, and maybe for some of you this is an unfamiliar part of the story, but you get an even clearer picture. There is no peace. You've heard of the wise men. And they come, and they come to King Herod, who's the king of the Jews, and they say, listen, we saw this star, which we've studied the scripture, even your scriptures, there's a ruler who was just born. He's going to be the king of your people. We have come to worship him. Now, if you're currently the king enthroned, I'm sorry, there's another king who was just born who's going to threaten my rule? No, I'm not going to have that. And so they would go to the scriptures and what do you mean? Where do you read? And maybe they read something like Micah 5, 2 through 5 that says this from our Old Testament, from our scriptures. You, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you're only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. 
This is God speaking in prophecy many years before Jesus would come and saying, listen, from Bethlehem, from you, a ruler, a king will come. Wait, his origins are in the past could mean he's in the line of King David, which had been promised to them. Or maybe this could even be God himself who will come to you on my behalf, on God's behalf. And he will stand and lead his flock with the Lord's strength and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And he will be the source of of peace, which we'll come back to in a few moments. When Herod reads this, a ruler's coming who's going to dethrone me, I cannot have this. What does he do? Herod lies. He tells the wise men, hey, go and um, worship, go find that king, uh, and when you find him, come back and let me know so I can murder, I mean worship him with you. I'm gonna go there too. And so he lies to them. Yeah, come back and tell me so I can, so I can worship too. The wise men come and they worship. An angel appears to them and says, do not go back to Herod. This is what he plans. At the same time, in Matthew 2, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Run away. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Did you know this was a part of the story? It become, Jesus becomes a refugee family on the run from an evil ruler killing children. And then, verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, they didn't come back to visit him. They went back another way. He was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Does this give the impression of the peaceful nativity? Or when we look at the first Christmas story and realize this was not a time or place of peace at all. And yet... Jesus specifically chose to enter into that place to be peace. We recall that passage that you often hear at Christmas times. For unto us a child is born, a, give, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, to will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The one who brings peace into this time and this place. Today I want to say that Jesus is the peace bringer in a world that is anything but peaceful. We, in our culture, we expect peace to be this static state. I'm happy, I'm content, all is well, I don't have to worry. But if that's what we think peace is, how often do we actually experience that? Is it actually good news instead that Jesus brings peace into the midst and of a time and a place when things are not peaceful? But Jesus can enter in there too. That is the good news we have. If Jesus can still bring peace in a world that isn't peaceful, then I can know that peace is not dependent on my place or my circumstance. Peace does not come from a pleasant place. Peace comes in proximity to the person and the presence of Jesus. This is where peace comes from. Because if there are many people be wondering where peace is today. And even if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm not really even sure what I think about the faith and like, that's a great Christmas story. Thanks for sharing that with you. But like, for me personally, how can I find peace? What's the takeaway for me? And in fact, Google would actually tell us there are many, many people in our world today that are actually searching this question in Google. How do I find inner peace? How do I find it? Here's what's interesting. If you, actually, if you were to Google that, you know what the top things are? Um, practice meditation, um, look inside, practice mindfulness and breathing, get out in nature, but almost all of them are look on the inside. If you really look internally, there you will find peace. 
And for me, and maybe I'm a little bit of a cynic, but I'm like, if I haven't been able to produce peace in my life this far, if I'm going to look inside, what am I looking for? Is there something in there that will just provide peace for me? I think our inclination to look on the inside is a good one, yet we don't even know what we're looking for. Yeah, here's what's interesting. In the Christian faith, if you, believe in Je- if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And so that when you are to look in, I'm not looking for myself, oh, that I'm going to provide peace for my life. Do you remember Micah 5.5? 5, 5? And he will be the source of peace. If I'm looking for peace, it's not in the world that is completely settled and static and wonderful and beautiful. It's not internal because I can produce it. Jesus, I'm looking to you who is the source of peace. Can you provide peace for me today too? So what does this look like? What does peace really mean? You see, in the Christian faith, when you believe in Jesus, from Romans 5, and starting from the very beginning of that chapter, it says, and Jesus, through his death and resurrection, for the forgiveness of sin and the new life that he offers, gives us peace with God, and he's reconciled the entire world to himself. I can have peace with God. Can I ask you, if you were to, here in church, in your living room, am I at peace with God? Am I worried or afraid of judgment or fear of God? We are good because I know you and I'm living rightly with you. I can have that peace. Where does that come from? Or maybe asking from the opposite side. Maybe you're here today and you'd ask this question. Why don't I have peace? Like, I got a good life, nice house, great family, good job. Why don't I have peace? From the Christian perspective and a pastoral perspective from Scripture, the first question I would ask you is, if you're not experiencing God's peace, is there any area of your life that is still not surrendered to God? Or maybe a better, easier way to say that, am I living with God as I know I should be? Am I hiding anything from Him? Is there anything in my life where I know I'm not living as I should be, but I don't really want to change or tell God about it or confess or deal with it, I know that there's something off between us. Scripture would actually say there's no peace if you're in that place. Isaiah 48 says, there is no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Here's, here's a better way to say this that maybe is a little bit more relatable. Um, when I was first married to Justine, and we had just gotten married, uh, I don't know, maybe two months, three months in, um, I was waiting tables at the legendary establishment known as Chili's. It's a wonderful place. It was way back in the day when two for 20 actually meant two for 20, and like half the menu was on there, and it was awesome. And I'm convinced, you can quote me on this, that's fine. I'm convinced that heaven on the Lord's table will be Chili's extra salty chips with their ranch right next to it. It is wonderful. It is amazing. I had many meals as I worked there. And when we just got married, I was working there, I was going to school, and you know when you're just married, you put your wedding ring on, you're like, you're playing with it, like, oh, it's fun, I've got, you know, I got this thing around my finger now. When I would wait tables, uh, I have a lot of different allergies, there was, um, when you clean the tables with the solution, that chemical would mix with the metal and rub on my finger and like turn my finger colors and it was gross and nasty. So I was like, if I'm gonna wait tables, I'm just gonna take my ring off and put it in my pocket, okay? I promise you that is the reason. I've been accused of other things before. That's why I didn't wear my wedding ring when I was waiting tables. And one night when I get done with my shift, uh, I don't wanna go home smelling like fajitas all night. And so I go into the bathroom and I change clothes and there I go, where's my wedding ring? This was only like two, three months in. 
And so I'm like, oh, no. So I go out and I search the restaurant. And I ask the closer guy, he's cleaning up, hey, have you seen a ring? Have you seen a ring? It has to be here. I had it when I came in. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I don't find it. I go home. It's a little late. I think she's already asleep. Next morning, oh, why'd you get home so late? Do you tell her? Do you? Yes. Oh, yeah, you're good for you. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to find it today. So it has to be at the restaurant. Someone there will find I don't need to worry her. I'm not going to tell her, right? So I go about my day, and I remember um, coming home, and when she was home that whole next night, I was like, hi. I'm just going to hide my left hand. Do you want to hold hands? Yes, with this hand, actually. Like, she can't know. She can't find out. And I had this something inside of me of like, you should probably tell her. I was like, no, it'll turn up. I will find it. She won't have to worry. Three days go by. Still no ring. Finally, I'm like, it is weighing on me, literally, of like, she's going to notice. I'm going to tell her. And in my inexperience of just being brand new and married and not sure how to have healthy conversations when there's tension in the room, I choose the best time to have this conversation. 11 o'clock at night, right before we're going to bed. We're laying in bed, and I start with the phrase, we need to have a talk. (laughs) Don't do that, okay? I learned. Don't ever start a conversation that way. I lost my wedding ring. And you can imagine in the moment, (laughs) she could have been like, you lost your wedding ring? Like, with this ring, I thee wed, are vows even good anymore? Are we even married anymore? No, she didn't respond that way at all. Actually, her response was very graceful. I'm angry you didn't tell me earlier. I could have helped you find it. What do you mean it's been three days? Why wouldn't you tell me? I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Here we are, number four, I think. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, okay? I remember... (laughs) I remember from these three days or whatever it was, ah, she's going to find out. The hiding of something. I know that if I just talk with her, ah, but that's the only way to get beyond it. I wonder in in our relationship with God, think of it as relationship, not religion of a system of belief, and I come and I do and I check off the list and I'm a good person, does that qualify me? No. This is a relationship with a God who created you and he wants to know you. He wants to share life with you just as we have our relationships today. I wonder how many of us in our relationship with God have this feeling there's something between us. I almost feel the need to hide it because I know it's not what God would want for me. And I don't feel like I can be in God's presence or whatever because there's this thing that I haven't given over to him. I'm not living as I should be. I'm not doing the things he would want me to do. There's this something between us. But if we would tell him, how much more than my wife, oh, I could have helped you find it. The God who made you, who can change you and transform you himself when you can't do it for yourself. If you would just say, God, I haven't been living the way I should. I need to come home. I need to live for you. Then you experience God's peace. Think of it this way. Why would God give you peace if you were not living in right relationship with him? From that perspective, hear me on this, sometimes the lack of peace is a blessing from God. What? Because the lack of peace in our life should be the wake-up call that I need to turn to him who is the source of peace and there find peace. And it comes then with the examining question, am I living as I should be with him? And if it's not, if there's something in your life, then tell him. Get right with him. Let him forgive you and now live a new life and then experience his peace. You don't have to live in hiding. Come and share with him and live as you should. I think that's 
the first reason why we don't experience peace. The second one is, I think when we're looking for peace, honestly, we think of receiving peace at this time of year, the best way I can think of it. We would rather receive peace like we do from Santa than we do from Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. We would rather come in and once a year or once in a while come and receive, oh, thank you, I don't have to change anything, and I receive it, that's a nice gift, and I'll be on my way now, and we'll see you next year. Oftentimes, we may treat church attendance a little bit like that. I'm here, and I'm in the presence of God. Give me your peace. Good. Now I'm good until the next time that I decide to come back. Yet, if God desires relationship with us, a life with us, to share life with us, this isn't a drop in and receive. This is the God who goes with us, not just in church, but maybe even throughout the week. He can give peace, because I would say this, peace is found in the person of Jesus. So the more that you're in the presence of Jesus, the more peace you will experience. And some of you, you leave this place. Pastor, I'm not even sure what it is, but when I'm here, ah, there's just this feeling, the peace of God. God's presence is here. But when you leave here, do you realize you don't have to wait six days? As you encounter God in the ways that are time-tested throughout the faith, you can have peace in your week as well. When you're reading scripture and you're reading about this Jesus who, my goodness, if he could forgive them, could he forgive me too? If Jesus would call them out, but yet love them in close proximity and relationship, I wonder if he would do the same thing for me. God, are you really this good, or kind and compassionate and merciful and slow to angry? Is this you? Oh, and you have this moment when you're reading scripture where the peace of God settles over you. So many of you, you drive for work. Do you know you can experience the peace on the drive? I know it's Chicago traffic and there's road work and Chicago drivers. Did you know you can still experience peace on these roads? Turn your um, radio to Christian music or your Spotify, Christian music, and begin to be in the presence of Jesus, even as you're alone and as you drive. Man, the God of love in this song, is that true? Man, this song came out at the right moment. It's what I needed to hear today. Maybe because you can be in the presence of God. I saw someone in first service, they're like, they went like this, and then they put both hands in the air, like worshiping while they're driving. Keep your hands on the steering wheel, okay? Keep your eyes open. But do you recognize you can worship even as you go? Or so many of you, when you leave your life group, pastor, ever since I got in that group, I don't know what it is, but when I leave there, man, something's different. Because when we gather and we share in community as God has called us to, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to share life, to hear, and people care for me, you're doing what God would want us to do. Why would he not give you his peace? You can experience God's peace as you go, as you find yourself in the presence of Jesus. And for you, it's Christmas time. This is not a peaceful time for most people. How much shopping do I still need to do? What do I need to prepare for the meal? Do I need to go buy an air up bed because somebody else is coming? Maybe the unexpected Christmas for you this year would to walk through this season with a whole renewed sense of peace. Not because you could drum it up yourself, because you spent more time in the presence of Jesus. And he provided peace as you go, even through this season. If you're today and you'd say, Galen, how do I practice this? What does this actually look like? What is something I can apply to my life this week to live this out? I'd point you to Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Very simple. It says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. 
His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. You hear those words and you laugh. We all worry. This is pray about everything. Or for you, if this is a familiar verse, I want to read it again from a different translation that might pull out a new meaning or reflection for you today. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. I love that. That's saying this, like, yes, we are worried. Oh my goodness, what are they gonna, what are they gonna think about me? Oh my goodness, my boss said that. Do they, do they really think about this? But have you taken your worry and shaped it into a prayer? God, I'm not, I'm not really sure what they're gonna think about me. But God, would you help me to let go of the opinions of others for you're the only one's opinion that matters to me? Do you see how peace then enters into that situation? God, I'm not really sure what my boss thinks. And it, uh, God, could you control the outcome? I'm not even sure how we're going to get there, but I don't even really know what to pray for, but I'm going to put it at your feet. Take your worry and turn it into a prayer. And it says, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, if you do this, a sense of God's wholeness, or the Hebrew shalom, this peace, this integrity, this wholeness of life will settle down over you. Everything of coming together for your good will come and settle you down. Don't you see that even if your circumstances don't change, as your worries turn into prayers, we get this beautiful right perspective of this is the God who is enthroned, who knows what I need, who can provide that all that I need, who can work everything out for good, who wins in the end. God, I know that you care and you love me and you're present. Do you see how that perspective leads to contentment and peace? So take your worries and turn them into prayers because isn't it wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life? Or one pastor said this last week, and hear me on this. If prayer has went to the back burner of your life, not something you practice, worries will be at the front. Can you switch that around? If my prayer is at the front of my life, I turn my worries into prayer, then my worries go to the back burner. Have we practiced prayer in the midst of our worries? Are you here today and you're troubled or afraid? If you are, I want you to hear these words from the God who loves you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who is present. In John 14, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. We need God's peace that is more secure than our worries, our insecurities, or our fear. We come to God with our fears and worries and we turn them into prayer. Then we experience God's peace for the Prince of Peace comes and says, I am here. Can you trust him today? Maybe in this Christmas time, unexpectedly, in the midst of your calendar, your life, the end of the year is crazy and chaotic. But think of the original Christmas. No peace. This is not what Mary and Joseph would have planned. Messy, unplanned for, chaotic, and peace enters there. For you, in your life that is messy, busy, unplanned for, crazy, chaotic, can peace enter here? It can. Even when, you, when you, even when you know everything is not as it should be, you can be at peace. Even when the diagnosis doesn't go away, God, you still give me peace. Even though you're still fighting the addiction, God, would you give me 
peace. Even though you don't know how the bill will get paid, I trust the one who provides, who is in control, who can give me peace. When your boss or coworker is cruel or unmean, you can still have peace because your identity is not derived from their comments, but the one who gives peace instead. No matter what place you're in, peace can enter. Today to close, I want to ask you one final question. And this is a gut level, don't lie to yourself. It is what it is. The question is today, am I experiencing God's peace? The settled sense of assurance that all will be well. God can work all things for good. I can have quiet confidence in him. Has that settled over your life? And if it hasn't, Maybe first of all, I would ask you, is there anything you haven't surrendered to God? Any way that you know you're not living that you should be? Bring that to God. Confess, repent, begin to live for him, experience his new life, and then his peace. Secondly, have I turned my worries into prayer? This week as you live and you're worried, turn it into prayer and then experience God's peace. And for all of us today, trust that God knows what is best for you. Know that Jesus can unexpectedly bring peace into the world, including yours, that is anything but peaceful. This week in response, would you choose to seek God no matter what place or circumstance or no matter your present anxiety or fear and watch as you pray in his presence, the Prince of Peace enters and your worries dissipate and disappear. Would you pray with me today? God, today, we look to you, the one who is the source of peace. God, as we live in this world that is often chaotic and fast-paced and we don't even pause, we can still recognize that within us we are not experiencing this peace that we know that we have been created for, that we long for. So God, now in your presence in this moment, we ask you to be the God who provides peace. God, even now for the person, for the couple who's worried and afraid and troubled about many things, even now would you reveal yourself to them, let them know a tangible sense of your presence that just as you came at Christmas, you are here today and you love us and you provide peace for us. God, for the one today that you have lovingly pointed out the way that we are not living for you in ways that we should be, Let them not to receive that as judgment, but instead as conviction, that there is still yet time to say, God, I know I haven't been living in the way I should, so here I am, God. Help me to live for you. Forgive me when I haven't lived for you. Forgive me of my sin and my thoughts and my words and my deeds, whatever it is. God, help me to live for you. God, give them the forgiveness that brings peace in these moments. God, for all of us this week, help us to turn our worries into prayers, and to live as people who live in your peace even as we go in the week. We love you, Jesus. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the App Store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. 
And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.